0: If you have your Bible this morning, please turn with me to John chapter 11, John 11. We have been studying the gospel of John on Sunday mornings since January, and you'll notice if you've been coming that we skipped over chapter 10. We'll come back to chapter 10 next week, but since it's Easter, uh, we need to talk about the resurrection. <laughs> And the life. And so we will be doing that through John 11 this morning and we'll come back next week where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. This is one of those weeks, again, where you'll want to have your Bible open. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you or you can use a pew Bible, we're going to be referring to a couple of verses that maybe we will not include uh, in the scripture reading. So that would be a good idea as well uh, this morning. As many of you know, I was the campus minister with RUF, that's Reformed University Fellowship. That is this church's denominational campus ministry. I did that for 12 years. I was six years at Sanford and six at the University of Mississippi, uh, better known as Ole Miss. And Susie and I uh, and our girls, we like college football. We like, specifically many of you, we like SEC uh, college football. And so at least once a, a season, because... It's hard with a family of six to go to games every weekend. But uh, we try to get our whole family and go to a football game when we were in Oxford. And it was always at one of those games where they're giving giving uh, tickets away. And normally, those games were at the beginning of the year. And on this particular Saturday, uh, it was the Fresno State game. This is a couple of years ago. And it was blazing hot last weekend in August. And we had our whole family there. We're on these aluminum bleachers, and we are, feels like we are burning alive. <laughs> and I was trying to be the good dad, and I was like, you know, I'm going to go get the family waters. And so, you know, we're having a great time cheering. We've got our pom-poms out. I'm going down into the concession stand to get water for our family. Uh, and you need to know that uh, at Vault Hemingway Stadium, there is no cell coverage, really. Uh, it's impossible to make a phone call, really, to get a phone call. Uh, So I got down to the concession stand and I got a couple of bars of coverage and then my phone completely blew up. Messages came, text messages came pouring in. Uh, Missed calls, 10 missed calls, five messages on my phone. And after doing a little research, I had learned that uh, a girl who had loosely been connected to our ministry had passed away suddenly. And... Her sorority sisters found out about this at the football game, and so everyone was on campus, and they were now in the sorority house, weeping, needing hope. And so the sorority president, who was on the leadership in our ministry, calls and and she says, Jason, we need you to get to this house right away, because we've got some girls here that really need hope. So I went and I told Susie what had happened, And that I would find a ride home from the game. And I had five minutes to figure out what I was going to say. And as I'm walking across the campus to the sorority house from the stadium. By God's grace he brought this passage. John chapter 11. To my heart and to my mind. And I walked in this scene as unlike I've uh, I've ever been in and been in since. I could literally hear the wailing and the weeping of these girls weeping Uh, over their friends, grieving over their friend from outside the house. And I walked in, and the scene inside was just as bad. You see, we've all had those situations, haven't we? We've all experienced something like that. If not directly, it, it has impacted you. You have had it impact you indirectly. And in those moments, life and beliefs collide, don't they? In those moments like that, What you believe about the future matters. Your future hope makes all the difference in the world. And that is a very important question, isn't it? Because you see, how you respond to tragedy and to pain and to death and to life in a broken, fallen world is controlled and impacted and shaped by what you believe about the future. Your future hope makes all the difference. And so as I stood before those girls, I opened up John chapter 11 and I read it and I made a few comments on it. And what's interesting is that Jesus walks into a similar situation in John chapter 11. He's lost a close friend. He walks into a context of death. He walks into weeping and mourning and loss. And in this passage, he shows us how to handle death. And he enters into this grief with these people in John 11 and with close friends. But as he enters into the grief, notice he doesn't lead them to despair. But he actually gives them tremendous hope. He gives them Easter hope. He gives them the hope of the resurrection. I think you'll see what I mean as we read this passage in God's word this morning. Follow along with me. This is John 11. 1 through 6. And then I'll skip down and we'll read some other verses. This is God's word. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and his her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. And wiped his feet with their hair. Whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying. Lord. He. He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So basically, Mary comes out and meets Jesus and weeps with her. Verse 35, Jesus weeps with her. It says that he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. Then look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For, it has been, uh, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray and ask God to bless the hearing and the teaching of his word. Gracious God, we come this morning. From lots of places, Uh, some of us perhaps this morning uh, are here because our family wants us to be here, but if we're honest, we really don't want to be here this morning. For others of us, Easter, uh, we've heard this story so much that it leads us to a boring yawn. Our hearts maybe are cold, and Lord, we pray that the beauty and the glory of Easter would move us this morning. Others of us are disappointed because things didn't go well this morning. And we find ourselves frustrated or angry. And lots of people, Lord, this morning have lost recently and someone that they really love. And they're here this morning because they need hope. They need the hope of Easter. And so, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we need you. And we cry out and ask for you to come and to make the hope of the resurrection Real to our hearts this morning. Stir our hearts. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. white L. Moody, uh, early in his uh, pastoral career, uh, he was charged with doing a funeral. There was only one problem. He had never done a funeral before. He didn't even know where to start. And so he said, well, I'll go to the Bible. And I'll look through the Gospels. And I'll look at a funeral uh, that Jesus was a part of, and I'll see what Jesus has to say, and I'll just simply copy that and deliver it to the people. There's only one problem, he says, as he was looking through the Scriptures. He found that every time Jesus showed up at a funeral, that it actually uh, broke out into a resurrection party. That he broke up the funeral. And a resurrection party broke out. And then he thought to himself, maybe that is exactly the point. You see, that's actually the point of John chapter 11. And exactly what we see Jesus doing. Jesus walks into a funeral. And there's weeping and there's mourning. And there's wailing. And sadness and grief. And Jesus comes and brings life. He brings a resurrection party. And he does it by doing three things. We'll see in this passage, if you're a note taker, he uh, he shows us and brings the resurrection party because he waits, he weeps, and he wakes. So we'll see waiting, weeping, and waking this morning in this passage. Let's look at number one, Jesus waits. Look at verses 1 through 3, and I think this is really important. You've got to talk about this. Because you've noticed it over and over, the connection of Jesus loving these people. They were real friends, more than just Facebook friends. Real friends. Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. They cooked meals for Jesus. They ate together. Jesus slept over at their house. They knew each other and cared about one another very, very deeply. And that's why there's some puzzling things in this passage. Because that doesn't make sense. Because look at verse 4. He gets word that his good friend Lazarus is ill. And look at what Jesus says. We would never counsel someone to do this in a grief situation. But he basically says, oh, it's, it'll be okay. <laughs> He's ill. Uh, it, it doesn't lead to death, it'll be fine. And so it seems a little dismissive. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Then look at verses 5 through 6. And I'll read this for us because notice the emphasis on love. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he went immediately to Lazarus' side. (laughs) No, no. That's not what it says, and it doesn't make sense. He didn't go immediately to Lazarus' size. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now think about that. If you heard of a good friend that you loved deeply, that was gravely ill, you would get in the car and go. And you read this, and you kind of expect it to say, Jesus got on his donkey and went to Lazarus right away. But it doesn't say that. It says that he loved them, therefore he stayed two more days. What do we learn from this this morning? Well, very simply, we learn that oftentimes Jesus loves us enough to disappoint us. That he loves us enough to make us wait. And that is very hard news to hear, isn't it? Because in John chapter 11, it teaches us that Jesus is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, and he really, really loves us. And following him often involves waiting and trusting that Jesus actually knows our life better than we do, knows what's best for us better than we know what's best for ourselves. And we often don't think that way. We think, okay, Jesus loves and cares for us, therefore I'm going to get whatever I want (laughs) Anytime, anyplace, any place, anywhere, I'm going to ask and God's going to give it to me right away. He's going to fix my family, my marriage struggles, my problems with parenting. He's going to get me the perfect job. He's going to make my struggle with addiction and sin just magically clear up. And sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't. Because Jesus, sometimes his love and care for us means that he loves us enough to make us wait. He loves us enough to disappoint us. Then the question becomes, why in the world would Jesus do that? Well, he tells us, look at verse 4. This illness doesn't lead to death. It, meaning the sickness, is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God will be glorified through it. And so, what what do we learn? The illness and the death was so that the glory of God would be put on display. Look at verses 15 and 42. He allows this to happen so that they might believe in him. He's disappointed them because he wanted the people, and he wants us this morning to put all that we are and all that we have, he wants us to put our full trust in him, Not in the things that he can do for us. To put it another way, God often makes us wait and disappoints us because he wants us to go to him to get him, not to get things from him. You see, when we start to realize that, it really makes us understand why maybe our prayer life is so confusing. Because oftentimes when God disappoints us or makes us wait or doesn't respond exactly when we want him to at the right time, we don't go to God and say, God, I don't know why you're making me wait, but let me have you. Instead, we go to God and we say, what's up? What's the deal? Give me what you took away from me. Give it back and make this happen to me. And God says, no, I want you to come so that you can get more of me. What about you this morning? Can you trust God? Even when you have to wait. Can you trust him in the midst of the disappointments when life doesn't look the way you thought it would look? Where does Jesus need to disappoint you this morning? so that you'll stop hoping in the things that he can do for you and start putting your hope squarely in him alone. First thing we see, Jesus sometimes makes us wait. But Jesus also, we see, weeps with us. Look at verse 35. Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses is the shortest verse in the Bible, and over the years, the longer I've lived, the more I have come um, in the midst of a broken world with lots of heartache and pain, this verse, there's so much here, but it has come to mean a whole lot to me personally. Jesus shows up three days late. His friend is already dead. And if you've ever been into a gr- in a grief situation or in a funeral uh, or walking up to someone who's just lost someone, you know how hard it is to say the right thing and to act the right way, and to do um, what is appropriate when someone who has experienced extreme loss. And what's interesting, if you notice, Jesus uh, handles Mary and Martha very differently, doesn't he? He actually comforts Martha by giving her truth. Sometimes that's appropriate, and we'll see that in the next point. But notice what he does with Mary. He doesn't comfort her with truth. He comforts her with tears. And as one translator uh, and commentator points out, there's really an emphasis that's missing here in the translation. It should literally read that he burst into tears. You've experienced this. Maybe you've lost someone close to you and you're at the visitation and all of a sudden that good friend that you haven't seen in years starts making their way down. You love them deeply and they love you deeply. And all they know to do is throw their arms around you. And when they throw their arms around you, you just, it just comes out. You just burst into tears. That's what's happening here. That's the picture of what Jesus is doing with Mary. You see, friends, death hurts everyone, including Jesus himself. Jesus is weeping. For his friends. And yes, they're tears of sadness. But there's also something else behind the tears. Look at verse 33 and 38. A very interesting statement. And so Jesus comes on the scene. And the reality of what's happened is hitting him. And it says that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. And he was greatly troubled. And the word, again, in the original language... Uh, we miss it, but I think it's important. The word that's used there uh, is used of animals at that time who would be filled with rage. And so think about a, like a wild horse that would be filled with rage and would be snorting. That's kind of the picture that John wants us to see here. So what's the point? Jesus is crying, yes, tears of sadness, but also tears of anger. He is... Furious with death. He hates it. And he hates the effects that your sin and my sin have had on our lives far more than you and I hate our sin and the brokenness in the world. So much so that it moved him to tears, to snorting anger because of what sin has done to the world. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite passages in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. It's the magician's nephew. And Diggory is the main character. And his mother is gravely ill. And all the way through the story, in the back of his mind, is his mother. And he knows that only if I can get Aslan to help. Aslan is the Christ figure in the story. If only Aslan, he's the key to the healing. And so he sees Aslan at one point in the story. And Diggory just almost uncontrollably, it comes out of him, please, please, Aslan, please heal my mother. But I love, C.S. Lewis inserts some commentary here. And he says, Diggory looked up and he saw something that surprised him more than anything he had seen in his entire life. He looked and he saw this ferocious, huge lion, his head bent down, and he said, in his eyes were these great, big, shining tears. And he says this they were so big. They were so big that compared to degrees, that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. Isn't that amazing? Where's the place in your life this morning that you need Jesus to go with you and weep? Friends, John chapter 11. Jesus is saying, I want to go with you to that place. I do go with you to that place. And I weep with you over the brokenness and the pain and the suffering in your life. Some of you this morning have been abused. By the person in your life that was supposed to be taking care of you and protecting you. Others of you maybe are from a broken home and you are at the end of your rope because you say life has been so hard for me. I can never catch a break. I am done. Or maybe this morning. You're experiencing the death recently or in the past year or more, of someone who you loved very, very deeply, that you were very close to, and your grief is so deep that you can hardly stand it. Or maybe it's an addiction that has wrecked your own life and wrecked your family. I don't know what it is for you this morning and what you bring into this room, but here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is more grieved, and he is actually more sorrier for those things than you are. And he wants to take you by the hand and weep with you this morning. Where do you need Jesus to weep with you this morning? Or who around you is going through a hard time and they need someone not to say, God's works all things together for good, that is true, okay? But who needs someone not to beat them over the head with truth, but to actually enter in and weep with them and actually be Jesus to them in that way. You see, Jesus not only loves us enough to make us wait, but He loves us enough to weep with us. Thirdly, He loves us enough to wake us. Because you see, all this talk about Jesus weeping with us and making us wait, you're like, that's good, and that makes me feel good, but I want a God that's actually going to do something about it. Isn't that what we want? (laughs) It's what I want. Well, we have a God that's actually going to do something about it. Look at verses 20 through 27. You ever ask this question to God? Martha says, Jesus, where were you? Why weren't you here? And then... Jesus says, your brother will rise. And Martha, who is very theologically precise, says, well, yeah, I know he's going to rise, but on the last day, on the day of judgment. And then here it is. Here's Easter. You ready? Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, let me tell you where you can learn about the resurrection. There's these guys over here, that, and you can go learn more about it, or let me teach you more. No, Jesus says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And then here it is. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die again. Verses 38 through 41. He walks up to the tomb. And he removes the stone. And Martha is saying, Jesus, you don't get it. There's an odor. His body is decomposing. You're way too late. And Jesus basically stands back and says, all right, watch and see. (laughs) Let the glory of God be revealed. And so he calls Lazarus forth. And think about this. Two minutes before, his body was rotting away. Two minutes later, his body is coming out, out of the grave. Jesus swallowed up death. And he reversed it. And I don't know about you, but that is amazing, isn't it? When you think about our God, yes, we've got a God that weeps with us and who is very tender, but at the very same time, we have got a God who is powerful and who has conquered death and the grave, our final enemy. And then the question is, how in the world is this true? How can this be a promise for us that we can hold on to? Look at verse 53. We didn't read this far ahead but it'll fall under the heading of the plot to kill Jesus. In other words, when you start raising a man who's been dead for four days, you're going to get some attention. And so Jesus knew exactly what this meant. He knew, I raised Lazarus, my days are numbered. Because the religious establishment will have to do something about me. They will kill me. Jesus knows that as he's walking towards Lazarus' tomb. He knows this is the final straw. And I love how Tim Keller says it. He says he knew the only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was for him to go into the grave. And that's exactly what happens. Because as soon as this happens, Jesus starts marching to the cross where he will bear the sin and the judgment for the sins that you and I deserve. And so, when he approaches the tomb, the reason why he's not like skipping and shouting and smiling and joy, like, I got this, guys. <laughs> I know what I'm about to do. Notice that's not his posture. He approaches with anger and he is shaking because he knows what it's going to cost him and he sees his own story and Lazarus's story. He knows what it's going to cost to raise Lazarus from the dead. And what it will cost to raise us one day from the dead. Look at verses 43 through 44. I love this. You pick up on the tenderness uh, of the way. I don't know about tenderness, because one translation says that when he called him out of the grave, he roared. He roared. Lazarus, come out. And he tells these men to unbind him. And to let Him go. And He's actually giving us in that moment a foretaste of what's to come. As one writer says, He's actually rewinding the future into the present. If you are a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, write it down. There's going to come a day when Jesus is going to call you by name. Why? Because as we're going to see next week, Jesus knows the names of his sheep. Lazarus, he's going to look at you and he is going to one day call you by name and say, come out. And he's going to look at death and say, let him go. Let her go. Unbind them. That's the hope of the resurrection. That's the hope of Easter this morning. Winston Churchill, as you know, arranged his own funeral. But he did something very unusual at the end of the funeral. When they said the benediction, there was a bugler at both ends of St. Paul's Cathedral. And right after the benediction, the universal signal of the day, taps was to be played. And there was a long pause. And then right after the playing of taps, the bugler on the other side played reveille the military wake up call of the day you see churchill was communicating that while we say good night here we say good morning because of the resurrection you see because of the resurrection we hear the wake up call of reveille whenever we hear taps And the question I will leave us with this morning as we think about the hope of Easter and the resurrection, it's the same question that Jesus left Martha with and the question that he wants to leave us with this morning. Look at verse 26. Do you believe this? Do you have this kind of future hope? Friends, I hope you do because it will make all the difference in your life when you bump up against suffering and heartache and pain. It makes all the difference in navigating those things in a broken, fallen world. Do you have this future hope? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that you are tender and that you enter into our suffering and our grief, but at the very same time, you are powerful and you have conquered Hell, death, and the grave. That the grave could not hold you, and because of that, we will one day be raised with you to new life. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't believe in you, would you give them faith? Would you give them eyes to see and ears to hear so that they can respond and have resurrection hope? If there's those here this morning that are grieving and sad because they have lost someone close to them, I pray that this would be like music to their ears as they would, are comforted with this incredible hope of the resurrection. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.